This is recording number 10937 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, August 7, 2011. This is the 19th message in the series titled, Doctor's Gospel. This message by Sue Bolt is titled, The Prodigal Son. Well, we've been going through the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. We talk about the four written gospels, the four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And every time I go to say this, I say the same thing over and over again. I had the great privilege of going to school with four boys named Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So any of you out there, Maria, if you want to produce like three more, of course you're having a girl, you'd have to make the family, what, humongous to get a Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. But Rachel, we're counting on you next time, wherever you are. So, um, anyway, Luke, though, for some reason, is my favorite of those four Gospels. I do, I wish I had a reason. In fact, I really tried to think of a reason. I don't know why it is my very favorite of the four. Though so much is said in John and Matthew and in Mark, they, are, they stand alone in the quality of how they describe Jesus' life. But I think personally for me, Jesus has spoken to me directly out of Luke so many times. It's been times where I've needed a word and it's just hit me so strongly. And I asked Randy, um, I thought maybe it would be further down the road, and he kind of surprised me and asked me to do it today. But I had, I had it on my heart to speak out of the prodigal son. The story out of Luke 15... And um, I had the privilege, too, again, of speaking on this uh, just a few weeks ago on Father's Day to share this story. And my audience was a group of three- and four-year-olds. It was, is it the seraphs class over here? Is that the seraphs that are the three- and four-year-olds? They needed an emergency teacher, and they know they can call me in because... They can call me in. That's why. <laughs> I've done children's ministry forever, and I hate to say it. I got a little burnt out, so I'm taking a, a broad rest that I hope lasts, this sabbatical lasts the rest of my life. But um, <laughs> I love your kids. I love children. I'm invested in children. I had three children of my own. We did together. But anyway, they call me in when there's a pinch situation. And it was Father's Day, and I taught on the, the prodigal son. And, um, you know, I've always been taught when you have the little ones like that to do everything over the top. And then, then he went and sl- went out to with the pigs, and he got so muddy, and he got so dirty, and it was just all. And you're going to hear the story if you're not familiar with it. You know, just everything's a little bit over the top. And it got to the end of the story, and I'm sitting there, and I have these children in front of me. Um, Alex Gomez and uh, Paige Cuffey are my assistants, and they're sitting on chairs. And they're all kind of just looking at me like. And I got to the end of the story and I started getting choked up. The son comes home and the father runs to meet him. And I start tearing up and I can't talk. And at that moment, they're all kind of like, you know, like the person that or like I am, like the person that laughs at their own jokes. And you're the only one laughing. I'm just I'm just I can't get the words out. And they're just. And and then finally, I was able to conclude, and I said to them, wasn't that a wonderful story? Little Toby raises his hand. Trisha's Toby. How many know Toby? Goes, well, it was kind of (laughs) long. I've been known to go a long time. 
I'm on a tight schedule today. Let's read this, okay? I'll try not to go too long. Okay, we're in Luke 15, starting at verse 11, the parable of the lost son. And this is a parable that Jesus told. And he said, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he, the father, divided to them his livelihood. Don't you know that was after a lot of contention? Have you ever had contention in your home, a parent with a teenager, maybe yourself with your, with your parent? And finally, you just say, you know, I'm just out of here. And he even had the gall to ask his father, give me my inheritance early. Before you die, I'm going to take off. I am gone. So the father did so with a broken and anguished heart. Knowing, I'm sure he knew, every father knows. You send that kid out the door, there's a world out there that's just ready to eat him up. You send a kid out the door with money, that's even a, that's even a greater risk. And sure enough, what he feared happens. Verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and he journeyed into a far country. And there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Other translations will say wild living or riotous living. We can only imagine what that meant. Especially, again, with money in your hand, what you could do with a little money and a headstrong will. He went to the far country, wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. So this boy, the son, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would, the boy would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the, same, that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please just make me one of your hired servants. And so the young man arose, and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, Servants, come, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but he is now found. And they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, what does this mean? What is this noise I'm hearing? And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received, your father has received him safe and sound, the father has ordered to kill the fatted calf. But the son was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. 
So he answered and said to his father, Lo, I've been with you these many years serving you. I've never once done anything wrong. I've not transgressed any of your commandments. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours comes, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots or prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's now found. Isn't that a wonderful story? Does that not speak to your heart if you've ever been that lost one? You know, one time our uh, Randy's younger brother, Roy... In fact, Randy's mom's visiting today, Juanita and our son, nephew, our son, nephew, our nephew, Joshua. I got the son in my mind. You can be our son, too. One time, Roy, he was our youth pastor. He and his wife, Aaron, went into the city, and um, they were ministering on the streets, and they brought home a young man that had run away. The man had seen everything. Can you let your imagination go to see everything? And like this young man, ran out of money and was soon selling his body on the streets. He did not look well. He was pasty white. He, he was just a mess. Roy took him in for a few days and tried to love on him, share the gospel, feed him, clothe him, but the young man took off again. I don't know where he is. But that's what I imagine this prodigal here. But he came to his senses at one point because he knew his father was good and he knew his father was kind. And I can't help believe that the father worked with him and worked with him and tried to just lavish upon him and yet guide him carefully. But the young man would not have gone back if there wasn't a glimmer of hope that maybe, just maybe, as a last-ditch effort, he would receive me back. And I know that young man counted the cost. He counted the cost of that. He's literally saying, I did it all. I took it all. I have nothing to show for it. I come and I surrender to you. I will wake up before the rest of the servants. I will stay up late at night. I will do whatever you tell me. I will not say no to you. Just please let me be one of your servants. And then to see the Father, who you know, what is it, 24-7, 365, searched on the horizon for him to come home. And just as he sees that little speck of body, a little something of movement one morning, one afternoon or one evening, start walk up the road. He cannot contain himself because he knows it's his boy. You know what your children look like. You know how they walk. You know the shape of their shoulders, their head, what their hair looks like. And even that young man wearing his rags was identifiable to the father because you, as a parent, you know that you love them way more than they'll ever love you. Is that not true? And that what a picture of God the Father looking for us. And that when he sees that glimmer of hope that we are coming to him, that somebody's heart is turning, he will run to meet you. That is a promise. And what does he put on the young man's hand? The man has forsaken everything, squandered everything. Not just, not just you know, how can I say it? Uh, it's, it's been a big, it's been a big thing. He didn't do it little. He lost it all and then some. But the father cries out to the servants, come, come, let's put the robe on him. Put the ring on him. Put sandals on his feet. 
Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's celebrate. What do those things mean? They could mean a variety of things, but I want to just kind of share with you a few thoughts from the scripture. He put a robe on him. That man's, you know, let's put it this way. Our, in Isaiah, it says that our robes, I believe it's Isaiah 64, are as filthy rags before Our righteousness is as filthy rags before him. When we come to God, we all know this. I'm not telling you anything new. We have nothing to offer. We come, even if we're in the best of shape that we've ever been in in this planet, I'm not talking physically, but maybe we have the best amount of money, the nicest home we're in, the greatest car, it doesn't matter. Our righteousness, our goodness never even compares to him. It's as filthy rags, the Bible says. And I've even been taught that if you go back to the original Hebrew, this is a little gross even to me, but it, it, there as, the word used there is menstrual cloths. Something very unclean, not pretty, something you get rid of right away. But here the father comes and says, put that robe of righteousness on him. Isaiah 64, 4 says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. He has clothed me with garments of salvation and covered me with the robe of righteousness. There was a time in my life where, um, and I've been real honest and open, I've had many bondages in my life, but the last one to really break was the thought holds of my mind. Some of you will say, well, Sue, I've got pornography, or I've got a, I'm addicted to pain medication, or I, I have a drinking problem, I have a gambling problem. I might be, I don't know what it is. And you think, well, thought life, how is that? Well, my thought life took me, it was my drug of choice. It took me out of my circumstances at any time I wanted to. One of my daughters feels that in a way we have talked and we've worked this out, but Shiloh has told me she felt neglected growing up. I know that was because I was not there for her in my mind. I was living some other little life in a fantasy world somewhere. And I went through a period of time as God was healing me, and I would still I would have five steps forward and two steps back and three steps forward and ten steps back. But I knew if I kept pressing, I just believed somehow God would get through to me. And really, when it was all said and done, I was already free and I didn't know it. But I would say continually to the Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just so sorry. I'm just so sorry. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you find yourself, oops, sorry, sorry, <laughs> um, unconsciously saying. I mean, it comes out of your mouth, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, and you kind of live in this, I'm sorry stage. And one time the Lord so gently but so firmly said to me, Sue, when you say that for this thing, the way you say it, it's not a genuine repentance. It's just it's become habit almost to you. And it's a way of life for you. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He, he told me, he said, Sue, you, what you say when you say that is you're telling me your sin is greater than my blood, than my sacrifice. And that's pride. How perverted is that? We think we're saying we're sorry, but my sin is greater than your sin. No, Lord, I know that's not true. The robe of righteousness. He paid it all and it was enough. And that beginning of knowing freedom and righteousness that I was, my sin is cleansed. When he looks at me, he sees the robe. That started to really give that impetus that I am free from this thing in my thought life. Because if he's cleansing me from the inside out, he's cleansing my thoughts. And if you're facing an addiction today of some sort, and you really are struggling the two steps forward, three steps back, would you please come and talk with us? 
Not just us. There's many people you can talk to. But there's freedom for you. He wants you to wear that robe. What's the next thing? The ring. Out of Esther 8, it, uh, it's a story we won't go all the way into, but I'm just going to read this one passage, even if you don't know the story. It says, You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. He was giving it to Queen Esther to use the ring was her symbol of authority, that what she said went. When we wear that ring as a prodigal and come home, it's the authority of Jesus Christ. The dominion that was lost in the garden to our adversary has been restored to us. And sometimes, and I, I don't, I, I sense a real excitement. I'm going to back up. I sense a real excitement in a lot of us here. As Randy and I have been teaching on spiritual warfare and who we are in Christ and what he has done. We're nothing. But when we got that robe on and we know it and we got our ring on, we got some power against the adversary in Jesus' name. But I still think sometimes there's a thought of, well, we pay you guys to do that, to get into the fray. But I want to tell you today, he paid that you could do it. Because we each face situations where we need that authority of the name of Jesus to stand. Even if we're not perfect, we got our robes on. The enemy sees those robes too. We show them our ring, the name of the Lord Jesus, and the the power of the word on our lips. We can see things topple. What's the next thing? Sandals. Put sandals on his feet. I'm reminded of um, Ephesians 6 as part of the armor of God in spiritual warfare. But it's just just a, um, it wouldn't even have to pertain to that. But it says in there that have your feet shod, put shoes of salvation on. You go back to the original Greek and Hebrew. It's an all-inclusive word signifying this is what salvation means. Rescue, deliverance, safety, liberation, release. I keep spitting, don't I? Forgive me. Perseverance, preservation, forgiveness, healing, prosperity, and restoration. Christ's salvation is total in scope for the total man, spirit, soul, and body. If that's what we're wearing on our feet. And the Bible says that wherever we put our feet, we can claim for the kingdom. That means no matter where we are, in the darkest place and the lightest lightest place, or the most light, we're bringing him there. That means when I go to work tomorrow morning and I step into Kaiser Permanente and I cross that threshold, I'm bringing the kingdom of Jesus there. I'm bringing salvation. I have the good news of rescue, hope, liberation, and safety and preservation. But I have it in me. And it's not so much what I say, but what I experience. What I'm allowing of him to do in my life. Salvation. It's a lot bigger than just getting to go to heaven. It's your whole life. Let him save you. The last thing is kill the fatted calf. Well, that could be a variety of things. It could be the meat of the word. I've got my Bible here. It could be just let's celebrate the meat of this. You can never eat enough of this, can you? If Paul says, don't stay where you just, just are you know, on pablum or on, uh, you know, what's the little cereal that babies eat? 
You're, you need soft food. You've matured. Start eating solid food. Grab this to yourself. Let it speak to you. Let it build you up. Meat could also be when Jesus said, it is my meat to do the will of my father. I think all of us desire to do the will of our father and to be free of that. I felt so far from that for so long, even as a Christian. And that's, I'll finish with that in a minute. But let's just take it literally, the fatted calf. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate Jesus, just like we did today. And my hope is that, because it took me a long time to get this way, but my hope that when I'm with Jesus in my living room, that's my little time with him, that I'm celebrating and dancing just like I am here. There's no difference. That's how I want my life to be. This is not a different category of my life. I want to celebrate him through everything, through the dark and through the light, through the good and through the hard. Now, we had a prodigal in our family. Our son, I'm going to make this as brief as I can, Jeremy Bolt, joy of our lives, last born, sweet as pie, just a kick to raise just a pure joy. Gave his heart to Jesus in high school. Fell in love with the Lord. I remember sitting over at a table from him at Chili's, and he said, yeah, Jesus is really doing a work in my life. I don't lust like I used to. What a thing to tell your mother. <laughs> you lost? Okay, anyway. He went to Life Bible College to settle his faith, to get it firm, his foundation. After about a year and a half, two years, he and a friend from there wanted to go back to the friend's house in Portland or to that area. And we actually felt good about this. We had prayed about it. We felt a real good, real, very good about it. Met and married a beautiful girl named Dia, another pastor's kid. Somebody told me once, well, they're going to need therapy. <laughs> two pastor's kids married to each other. That's a time bomb ticking. Just darling, madly in love. Just fun. If you guys have met him, you, you only see kind of the serious side of him, but when he's with the family, he's a clown. About a year and a half ago at Christmas time, we had this beautiful Christmas dinner. We're seated around, and I have all my little Christmas china out, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's all pretty. You know how I have the two trees. Christmas, big deal. He stands up. We all think immediately, oh, they're pregnant. No, he stands up to tell us, that he doesn't need, see the need for a savior anymore. That he doesn't believe Christianity is valid. He does believe there's a God. But he doesn't really know that there's sin. And if there's sin, then really not a savior. If there isn't sin. And he just really wanted to, this has been brewing in his heart for a couple years. And he wanted us to be, because he loved us, be totally honest with us about where he has, was in his life. That he loved and respected us, but as for he and himself, he had decided he would not follow Christ anymore even. That was a slow drifting that didn't happen overnight. That's why we encourage you to always stay in fellowship, to be, have a personal, vital relationship with him. Because it's easy to drift without, without even knowing it. And I'm sure at one point of his life he would say, I never would go there. But he was there. Of course, we were stunned. We were heartbroken. We embraced him and loved him and said, this is your life, your journey. We're with you. We won't change our love. We'll love you no matter what. Then at the first of this year, they seemed to do okay as far as we knew. And, and Dia was thrown into confusion. But in the midst of it, she really decided, yes, I am a Christian. So we rejoiced in that. But we were praying 
for our son like nobody's business. Then this past Christmas, so six, seven, eight months ago, great time. After the first of the year, we get a call from him. He said, can I come down and talk to you guys? My gosh. You know that feeling when you get that call from a kid or about your kid? It feels like somebody just punched you in the stomach. It is a knot. It is a pain. It is an anguish that nothing can compare to. Long story short, he came down and told us he'd left his wife because he believed God told him to, to leave her. He was seeking God. He was not, again, nowhere near Christianity. He believed there was a God out there, but he was very much interested in the Eastern philosophies, really you know, exploring his spirit, and just, just is, you know, just this is. And there's no regret. There's no sin, no need for forgiveness. You know, you just live. You just are. Very much a nature buff. You know, he told me he wasn't worshiping nature, but very much, you know, God is just here and there, and he's in the trees. And, you know, I mean, it's laughable now, but it was, I mean, it's heartbreaking. The, except for, he said, I truly am seeking. And we knew if he was really seeking, Jesus would make himself known. Because Jesus is God, and that's what he does. He's the Father looking for the Son. Went up and visited them. I've got to really shorten this. Went up and visited them again. He said, no, it's over, Mom. It's over. And we were called at that time just really to pray and battle, just as we were teaching and talking to you guys. I don't know if you remember, I got my fire axe at that time. Randy got the sword. The church got the sword. It was just an outward symbol of an inward thing. We'd pray in the spirit. We'd pray in the English and in our prayer language. Show us how to pray. Give us discernment. I tell you, we learned a lot, didn't we? Words were given to us personally. Our daughter received Isaiah 35. If you haven't ever had this before in the midst of things, ask God to give you a scripture to get you through. People can comfort you, but when God comforts you, there's nothing like it. Randy started praying verses out of that. Let his ears be unstopped. That was out of Isaiah 35. Then in March, we were in Hawaii. We get this call from him, and he says, something's happened. I'm starting to realize I may have made a mistake. I've just talked with Dia last night about maybe coming back. She's just not sure. Randy was talking to him. I was having a time in the presence of the Lord out on the beach at Waikiki. I swear he lives there. I know he does. <laughs> How many think heaven is going to look like Hawaii? <laughs> you got it, baby. I go up to that hotel room. He tells me this news. What do we do? We dropped her knees sobbing and crying and praising God. A breakthrough. I cannot tell you how many words we got through this. We knew that he would come, but we didn't know when. We had that assurance, Jesus spoke to us, that he would come. I can't even give you all the sweet details sometime. It was a long progression of about three months. That's not very long, really. He came down in the early part of July to stay with us, so just a few months ago. And I finally asked him, what happened out in Bend? And he said, Mom, I went out there. He goes, I I was searching for God. He had been fasting, fasting to find this God, whoever he was. Regularly. I don't regularly fast. He said, I went out to the desert to find him. 
He said, I was on my hands and knees crying and sobbing to God. Show yourself. I need to know you. Who are you? Now, remember, we're praying. You guys prayed. We rebuke you, spirit of deception. We tell you lying spirits to be broken. We cast you from his life in the name of Jesus. He said, Mom, in the midst of that crying, he said, I felt something leave me. And he goes, and he just kind of laughed. He goes, I don't know what happened. I just know I rolled over on my side and I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I heard God say to me, the real God, he said, I knew it was the real one, said, now I will do it. And when he came to our house in July, he said, for the first time, he told Randy, my ears are open to hear the gospel again. Because he, Jesus keeps cropping up everywhere I go. He manifests himself. I'm seeing it. I'm not ready yet, but I see it. So we had many discussions and talks about it. But on July 5th, up at the cabin at Big Bear, with his two best friends who are Christian pastors, he got on his knees and he surrendered his life to Jesus. Yeah, it was awesome. He said, I won't do it, but I've got to count the cost. I know, before he said it, if I make this decision, it will cost me everything. But he goes, if I do it, I will jump in 200%. I want this Jesus, if he's real, to have all of me. And so I want to invite you today, too, and me. It was a fresh reminder. I want to give my 200%. Because look at, let's just close with this, what the, the boys, the older brother says. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us have been Christian a while? The party happens when the son comes home. But what does the father say to the older son? Who's been with him? Who's done everything right? Shown up in church every week? Who's prayed the prayers? Sings on the worship team or does children's ministry or food or greets or ushers? Am I making sense? The older boy that's been good for a while, quote unquote, not that we're not working on stuff. But how come, Father, you didn't kill the fatted calf for me? I want to party too. And the father said, Son, all I have is yours. It has always been yours. Have you forgotten that? And that's what Jesus spoke to me out of this. Don't forget the party's on. The salvation's here. The robes are yours. Freedom is yours. If you're not free, and I wasn't free for a long time, get free. It is portion of what I'm giving to you. The Bible says, Jesus says, it is the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. So we, as many of us in the room, as the older sons, let's take back. Lord, I want that robe of righteousness. I, want it. I, I know I have it. You have never lost it. But I, I make myself consciously aware that I'm wearing it. I choose this day to, to really know that I am free and I am forgiven. Now show me how to really walk in that, Lord. I put the ring on. I put the ring on because there's people that need my prayers against the enemy in their life so they can be free. That ring of authority. I put these shoes on, these sandals, Lord, today, because they've always been there. Salvation. What is it you need in salvation there? Do you need to be restored? Do you need to be delivered? Do you need to be set free? Do you need some financial help? What is it you need there? 
Lord, I want to have a party with you. I sometimes feel like you guys look at me like I'm that oversaved person. (laughs) I know I come across that way, but I'm so excited about Jesus because he's so amazing. And I lived the longer, the older son life for so many years. It's only been the last six years that I feel like I said, okay, daddy, I want the party. And he's given it to me. Yeah, glory. Glory.